Welcome to the Kentuckian, folks. Glad to have you with us. Howdy, everybody. Welcome back to the Kentuckian. Now, for today's episode, I want us to think about something. We're going to kind of, uh, I guess, put ourselves in uh, some theoretical shoes, but uh, it still has very practical application, as I think you'll see. Uh, and this is to really help us understand the situation. Now, in today's culture, we're so rigid in our thinking. There are so many concepts, so many uh, alternative explanations or that sort of, of thing that we as a people generally will not even consider. We think, well, that must be impossible. Uh, the kind of reasoning like, well, if that were true, we would know about it. Or this government or this corporation wouldn't do that because there's no way they'd get away with it. That sort of thing, right? And this is a problem because I've seen it even in my own life dealing with, uh, well, I, to a certain degree, the things that I believe or had believed in the past. And then also dealing with people that there's things that they just won't even really consider. And uh, as soon as you say something, there's certain almost like trigger words where if you say a certain thing or a certain phrase, well, they, you must be crazy. Well, you know, uh, he, he surely doesn't know what he's talking about because there's no way that could be true. And what it comes down to is there's a lot of things that we don't want to believe. And uh, this is in particularly important when it comes to the political and cultural realm because the implications of certain logical conclusions are maybe grim or they would require uh, extra work because they would require certain action or they are just uncomfortable for us. And as I've talked about in other episodes before, we don't like to be uncomfortable anymore where you've gotten soft and weak. And so what we're going to talk about in particular, and this is going to be fairly general. Uh, we're not going to get into, into the details too much. We're going to kind of hit a few main points. But as the title indicates, we're going to talk about is the government really helping anyone? And I want us to think about okay, there's all these government programs and these government agencies and all this regulation and all, all that sort of stuff that we've dealt with for decades in this country. And I want us to take a moment and, and think, and we're mainly going to use examples, not just examples, but mainly some, some general examples to help show us now, like, now wait a second, maybe these regulations, maybe these agencies and all this government interference in our lives really isn't all that good. We kind of assume all too often that like, well, maybe the government messes things up a lot, but at least they're well-intentioned. At least they're trying. Uh, if they ran it better, then it would work. And that's kind of what I want us to question. And uh, we, we, in a sense, we've talked about a lot of things to question those different assumptions throughout the different episodes of the Kentuckian. But I want us to think about it a little more specifically and uh, talk about some general examples and really just to try and get us to think about, hey, maybe we shouldn't be so accepting of a certain conclusion. Maybe we shouldn't just believe something because somebody said it. And while we may, you may say, well, I don't believe something just because somebody says it. Well, you, you might realize there's several things that you actually do. And it's something that as humans, especially Americans um, in this kind of culture, but humans in general, it's, easy, it's an easy trap to fall into because, again, sometimes the things that we don't want to believe or they make us uncomfortable or whatever – and we convince ourselves they can't be true, and really the evidence would not indicate such a conclusion. 
Now, we're going to talk, as the, the episode indicates, specifically about some government stuff. And we can talk about intentions all day long. We talk about, well, you know, did they mean to do good with it? Did they not? And while I think you could probably safely conclude in most cases that the government did not really mean to do good with their various uh, helps, <laughs> um, their, their various solutions to problems, if you can call them solutions, because they're really not, um, we also need to just look at the practical effects of these policies and what the, and this is where historical context can come into and play an important role in understanding the effects of these kinds of policies of this sort of government intervention. Uh, I believe I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but Thomas Sowell said that one of the greatest mistakes we can make is to judge a policy uh, on its intentions rather than its results. And that's something that we certainly have to be true. Uh, we have to, we, that is certainly true, excuse me. And uh, we need to be aware of and, and kind of ingrained in our own lives. So as we jump into this, um, the first thing I want to talk about and is the reasoning. And we, we'll talk, we won't spend a lot of time on this. We'll spend mainly time on the second point, And then we'll spend a little time on our uh, third point as well. But, you know, what's the reason or reasons for government intervention in our daily lives, in world affairs, in the policies of other countries and so on? There are many reasons that are given. A lot of it comes down to, if you were to really break it down to its core, uh, the core reasoning, well, either individuals cannot or will not do certain things in society to take care of the, say, the outcasts of society, take care of the poor, to take care of the people that are isolated from what you might call normal society for whatever reason, right? Could be unemployed, could be poor, could be people that the the exceptions, you know, people that are disabled and can't work or, you know, those sorts of, of uh, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but those sorts of fringe um, examples, right? The, the, the fringes of, of what is conventional or normal might be a better word um, for the normal functioning of society where that's what the the majority of people participate in and that's what basically all of it comes down to from a reasoning standpoint whether it's disingenuous or not whether they mean that reason or not that's usually the reason that's given something along those lines or that harkens back to that that line of thinking now, as we've touched on time and again, this very premise has several problems. There's various episodes where we talk about this. One of the big things we need to remember is that the government both cannot and will not fix problems. It's not the government's job to fix problems, and they cannot do it, with almost no exception. And because of the way that government works in comparison to people and and for a lot of different reasons, some of which we've gone into in more detail in other episodes, at least one other episode, is that the government also will not fix problems that it even potentially could or at least have a positive effect on. Government has every incentive not to produce real results. Control people, consolidate power, greed, bribery, all the different things that come with, uh, that are especially prominent with government power and centralized power that incentivize a government not to produce real solutions, to keep people uh, dependent on them and that sort of thing. Not to mention that it's out of government's God-ordained role to try and take care of everybody and fix all of society's ills. Even if it could, that's not its assigned role, and it can't realistically. Uh, <laughs> you may remember a quote that uh, Ronald Reagan said, 
and I'm going to paraphrase it slightly. He said, the scariest words in the English language is, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. <laughs> and uh, there is certainly a lot of truth to that, both from a philosophical standpoint, but also from a practical standpoint. And of course, you may have seen some of it in your own life. Um, but as we transition away from that philosophical side, let's think about our own life. Let's think about some more examples. Think about ways that the government has affected something. Maybe it, it maybe it wasn't a policy that affected you directly, but it affected an industry maybe that you work in or or something as simple as controlling the food industry, which of course is something everybody uh, is important to everybody, right? Or utilities or I mean whatever the case might be. So let's get into some of these examples. So thinking about some common policies and the failures that are in uh, connected with them. There's there's kind of four main subsets where we'll have some examples of how government quote-unquote help actually makes things worse and hopefully gets us to question um, the role of government, to question the viability and the legitimacy of such um, organizations, departments, regulations, and so forth. And this is something else that I didn't mention a moment ago, but we're going to look at some specific examples from our history and within a relatively short time frame, right? The last few decades. We need to realize that the more you study history, the more you see the pattern of governments taking these kinds of actions and it always hurting people. And I'm not going to go into too much detail there because that's not the purpose of the episode. But it is a quick reminder that the more you understand history, uh, the easier it is to understand how Governments might actually be evil. Governments might actually conspire to to gather power for themselves or to keep people subservient um, because it happens time and time again. And these and X, Y and Z are the ways that governments tend to go about it. Anyway, getting into some of the examples, the first kind of subset is general regulation, government regulation on uh, especially industries and businesses, but regulation in general. So regulation affects you. It just does. Now, the extent to which you understand how much regulation, government regulation affects you probably depends more on your life experience and what you do for a living. Um, the, the kind of jobs you work, you may be exposed to the effects of government regulation because generally government regulation is framed very positively when it gets to the consumer, when it gets to the grocery store, when it gets to, to the, the places where the majority of people may actually go and buy something. But when you work in industries that produce products that are affected by regulation, which is all industries to one degree or another, but some are much more than others, then you really start to realize how much regulation affects things, how much regulation causes prices to go up and so on, causes problems, causes power grid problems and everything else. But again, whether you're directly exposed or... or um, Oh, I'm drawing a blank on the term. Whether you're directly exposed or have direct experience um, from hearing people in your industry or whatever um, talking about how bad government regulation is, how much of a problem it causes, how many complications, make no mistake that it does affect you. It affects me. It affects every single one of us all the time. Everything that you do, with little to no exception, is in one way or another affected by government regulation. And regulation, that I might add, a large majority of it is is done in the name of safety, right? Uh, just a little side point there. What it really does, they say it's for safety. What it really does on a practical level is it increases the cost and the complexity of absolutely everything. 
When the government forces a company to do something for any reason, it almost always makes the product less practical. Um, you might think about safety features or design features on a product that are basically required by the government, um, and they often get so excessive that they make a product less usable. And this also makes products much more expensive because, or at least some more expensive, depending on the situation, because a company is forced to commit more resources, right? Uh, just like us, you know, a, a company can't spend more than it makes or it's going to go out of business. Uh, you know, they have a certain amount of time because they're paying people to work. Uh, they have a certain amount of money they can spend on things. They have a certain amount of material. Material costs money. It costs time to process it into a product that they can sell and make money on. Even the engineering to maybe redesign a product. That's all things the company has to pay for and has to cover when it sells that product to you. So they have to raise prices to account for overhead to account for expenses to actually make the product they're selling. And so government regulation, generally safety regulation, adds to cost a lot. And it's not always just the product itself. Uh, oftentimes there's um, workplace regulation. So not even, it may be irrelevant what they're making. The government also is extremely restrictive on how workplaces are set up, on safety regulations, on the kind of equipment that needs to be available. And that increases cost as well. Again, that's overhead. You have to spend money to make a, a factory and to buy all the equipment and then to buy all the safety equipment for that and then to buy all the safety training um, because the OSHA said that you need to have the safety training. And if you don't, you'll get fined a bunch of money and sometimes worse things depending on what the, the situation is. And now they have to cover those costs somewhere, some way. Now, for, for a, a regular person that isn't uh, running or, or managing a business, right? Well, what do you do? You, you get a higher paying job. You cut costs. Maybe you have to stop buying something that you normally would have to cover an increase in those sorts of costs. Of course, individuals are rarely forced to pay for them, um, probably for a very distinct reason, but regardless. Um, but when you're a company, how do you make money? You don't have a job. You don't get a salary or make you know money by the hour in a sense. You're the one that makes money by selling products or selling services. And so you've got to sell more products, sell more services, and or increase how much you charge. That's the only way you make money. And yeah, maybe you can cut costs in other areas, but what that usually translates to in a practical sense is, oh, we're going to have to use a weaker material because it's cheaper. Or we're going to have to reduce the size of this, this element uh, um, or this feature that, that makes it more inconvenient to use, but it saves us money Oh, when we make a million units and we have to save that money because of the money we have to spend somewhere else. Now, when you think about that, and you also bring in environmental regulations through agencies like the EPA, and now you have an even worse effect, right? There's a lot of bad or deleterious effects um, of regulation, safety regulation, but EPA regulations can often are worse in the effect that they have on costs and on expense and, and how that translates over to, um, uh, to the consumer, to us, right, to you and me. Um, safety regulations, at least sometimes, do have a real use, like EPA safety regulations, um, but even then they tend to be very impractical. So uh, oh, I'm, so safety regulations have a use. Environmental re regulations are almost always pointless, but not always. That's kind of the point I was making there. Um, even many of the regulations that do make a modicum of sense aren't that practical, um, but there are regulations that have to do with things like the disposal of hazardous materials. That sort of thing, you know, you're not supposed to dump uh, hazardous waste into a pond, that sort of 
regulation. Those can have a certain effect, but even then they're not really practical or realistic or as practical and realistic as they should be. Um, so they still may not make much sense. They still may cause extra expense that wasn't needed and so on. But all that to say, the more that you're exposed to the lunacy that pervades every part of industry, business, manufacturing, food production, and so on, the more you see just how much regulation makes life so, so much harder on all of us. Again, it's not just it makes it harder for uh, company X, Y, and Z to make a buck. It makes it harder on us because that raises costs. That makes products harder to use or harder to get and so on. I mean, the cost of living going up is no secret to any of us, I'm sure. And in this case, as in most cases to one degree or another, it's at least due in part to, inv to government regulation and government uh, manipulation of the economy causing recessions. The next subset that we're going to talk about is healthcare. Now, healthcare is an interesting one. We we need to go into more detail on the healthcare system eventually, um, but government interference in healthcare has had a huge effect, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Both the management of healthcare and the government trying to provide it for everyone causes huge problems. Health insurance, in and of itself, is something of a scam. Um, the concept of insurance isn't always, but the way it's implemented today is really messed up and broken. And it's kind of been used to produce a sort of tacit monopoly on health and health care. Um, and it's also been used by the government to generate a sense of entitlement to quote unquote care. Um, but of course, that care is ironically only what the insurance company or the government deems it to be, right? People say, well, I've, you have a right to health care, but you when it comes to like the practical application of that that means the government and or insurance companies decide whether you live or die um a lot of complicated stuff in there we're not going to get into it very much well i say complicated i think it would more just take time to really explain and break down and we don't have that time for this episode today we will i do plan on coming back to that eventually but basically the way that healthcare in general has been framed and portrayed for the last several decades focuses around healthcare and quote unquote conventional medicine. And we'll f what you see is that actually has a huge negative impact both on the quality of care available, on the cost of it, and on the availability of it. And of course, the government nationalizing or attempting to nationalize it and force people to get it is a very convenient way to really encroach on people's lives in a powerful way. So we find in general that that healthcare is stagnated and closed off by the government. And this results in two things. We've talked about some of the, the kind of practical effects, but the the health healthcare being controlled and, and heavily regulated by the government really leads to a monopoly on health by the government, and it causes an extreme loss of life caused by the limiting of scientific advancements in medical fields through this government tyranny. So if you can think about it this way, if you can make it illegal to practice any medicine except the quote-unquote conventional route, you've put one route to control as a government. If that's the only way people know of to get medical care and you control how people have accessibility to that care, well, now you've controlled people's access to the only practical healthcare, at least what they think is the only practical healthcare out there. 
And it's interesting, you talk, you think about conventional medicine, convention in and of itself sort of means that people have gotten together and decided this would be normal, kind of, is one of the meanings of convention. Kind of makes you wonder who convenes, who decides that that's quote-unquote normal medicine. You know, used to bleeding people to get the bad stuff out of their blood was normal medicine, was conventional medicine, but that didn't mean it was effective. That didn't mean it was right. But if you can control people's health, you can control them. In fact, you if you can just get them to think that you can control their health, you can control them. Just get them to think that they're in danger, even if they're not, if their health is at risk. And the only way to, to, to reduce that or eliminate that risk is to, I don't know, get a specific kind of shot that the government was pushing onto you and rush through development and has a lot of questionable things about it. Yeah, you can control people because they think their lives at risk. That's that's one thing we need to realize. Healthcare is is far more important than just oh, are you sick or you need a surgery and you get taken care of. It is a powerful way for control because people's lives are on the line. And especially when you get a materialistic culture that really doesn't have much foundation in anything other than this physical life, threatening their lives, whether tacitly or directly. And of course, a healthcare threat would tend to be much more tacit or uh, subtle, uh, you can get them to do what you want because that fear starts to take hold of them. It's an interesting thing to think about. One of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, a man named Dr. Benjamin Rush, said this, Conferring exclusive privileges upon bodies of physicians, and that would refer to groups of physicians, by the way, and forbidding men of equal talents and knowledge under severe penalties from practicing medicine within certain districts of cities and countries. Such institutions, however sanctioned by ancient charters and names, are the Bastilles of our science. And that Bastille refers to the famous French prison um, that was kind of a symbol of tyranny and, and, uh, and uh, stagnation, censorship, that sort of thing. A lot of political prisoners were kept in the Bastille in France, if that gives you a guess as to why. Basically, what he was saying is that the limiting of the practice of medicine, say, if you don't get a medical license or and practice any kind, other kind of medicine and for profit, you'll go to jail, those sorts of things. Um, limiting the practice of medicine to certain groups completely destroys the advancement of medical science is basically what he was saying. And there's something to think about there. Like I said, I mentioned, you know, used to they thought that bleeding people was the best way to deal with a lot of diseases. Well, that was wrong. But how did they get past that? You know, they got past it because somebody didn't enforce that that is the only way that you can practice medicine. We kept advancing. We kept experimenting. We kept trying to figure out the best way to take care of people. And it wasn't limited and restricted by the government. And even at the time, there were apparently times where it was. And Dr. Benjamin Rush was making that point that to for the practice of medicine to be restricted in that way was dangerous. And I think it's important to note because people try, well, what about snake oil salesmen? What about charlatans and that sort of thing, right? Well, even, even in Dr. Rush's um, quote here, he even says, forbidding men of equal talents and knowledge under severe penalties from practicing medicine. He doesn't say um, it should just be the Wild West out there. Um, he's not even saying that there, at least in this quote, he's not even saying that there shouldn't be any kind of regulation at all. Um, but to restrict the practice of medicine, um, 
in that way is extremely dangerous. I think it would be much more, it would make much more sense to have, you're talking about malpractice laws or, you know, negligent practice of medicine um, where you're doing something like you're a charlatan, like you're a snake oil salesman. Those sorts of things aren't necessarily off the table, but to restrict who can practice medicine because they didn't go to a certain school that the government arbitrarily said, yeah, you know how to practice medicine and you, and these other people don't, that's dangerous. That hurts people. And it does. It really does. There are many experimental areas of medicine that languish, that are basically undeveloped and mostly unexplored because the penalty for practicing, practicing such medicine would be severe. And again, I'm not saying that any alternative medicine should be used because it's alternative. I'm not saying that. But we shouldn't be, basically, if we actually try and practically use it, we'll go to jail. That's the problem, right? We can't even begin to experiment and use these things because the government says we can't. There's other areas of medicine that could provide a significant, I mean, they, they show at least a little bit of promise from what little bit we've been able to see but basically people almost can't do it or the risk is extremely high. So there's very few people that even try and get into that realm because, well, they've got to eat. They've got to make money somehow. And why why work on something that you can't make money on? And if you do something the wrong way, you could go to jail for. And we got to remember that the medical field is a science, just like any other science. And therefore, it must be allowed to grow and develop with very little to no interference. When some organization, whether it's a government or something else, decides what is and isn't quote-unquote allowable, it is almost always, if not always, a detriment to all parties involved when it comes to scientific study and the medical field. Yeah, I'm not going to say there aren't any exceptions to that, but almost always that's the case. You've probably heard about the ridiculous times for drug testing in the U.S., right? There's all sorts of life-saving drugs and medical treatments and medical technologies that are stuck behind decades of bureaucratic red tape and regulations while real people suffer and die because the government was quote-unquote concerned about their safety. Don't you see the contradiction there? Don't you see the problem? You're not even allowed to, to, to for these companies aren't even allowed to test it on somebody who's going to die anyway, and hey, I might as well try it. I, I can, even if it doesn't work for me, I might help them discover the cure for somebody else. And they can't even do that for decades because the government's worried about your safety while real people suffer and die. That's why sometimes people go to Israel or some other countries, sometimes even Canada, if I understand correctly, although Canada, I think it's specifically certain drugs that are available quicker in Canada than they are in the U.S., even though Canada healthcare wise is a total mess. Um, but sometimes people in America will go to other countries just because they can use and try an experimental treatment for this rare fatal disease they have or whatever. And as we kind of mentioned with some of the other regulation, when you have to spend 16 years testing and testing and testing this drug and spending hundreds of thousands, likely millions of dollars on testing, well, what does that mean? That means that's that's years and millions of dollars that this company can't make any money off of this drug. So one, there's a lot of drugs that aren't even tested because they probably can't make enough money on it. And two, it means that cost and the way that they look at it is going to be way different because they have to be able to make the, the, the meet their bottom line. They have to be able to, to actually make the the drug worth it money wise, because I mean, what's the point of being a pharmaceutical company that makes life-saving drugs if you go bankrupt in 10 years because you can't make any money off of the drugs that you're, that are saving people's lives. And, and people will try and say, well, it, it's saving people's lives. You should do it just because. But again, I say people have got to eat. 
people have got to pay the rent or pay the mortgage. Like you can't just live and do something completely out of charity unless some really rich person comes along and pays for you to do that. You have to to pay the bills. You have to live. And if you can't make money, you can't do that. So it's that balance of greed and practicality, right? And there is a balance there, so don't get me wrong. But we need to realize, like, that, that company is run by people, and people have to pay the bills. Let's remember that, you know? Hey, folks, just wanted to remind you about my Patreon page. Any amount you can afford makes such a massive difference and allows me to bring you more great content. Back to the show. But anyway, it is extremely interesting, in perhaps a dark way, how the government has stifled progress when it comes to medical, the medical field, and they stifled progress about everywhere else as well. But, um, and, you know, we're talking specifically about the medical um, system. And, uh, and then you throw in that you have government-sponsored and government-propped-up pharmaceutical organizations and companies that have been discussing whether healing people is a viable business model. Um, you know, they claim to, to care about safety, but they, they, and, and trying to quote unquote care about people, but then they restrict development of promising new, uh, techniques, technologies, and medicines, and they prop up companies that, uh, argue whether it's a viable business model to even heal people, which of course might strike you as a little odd, but think about it. If you're a, we think of medical companies like, well, they want to take care of people. Well, medical companies do want to make a buck, and especially the really big ones that tend to be much more heartless and only focused on their bottom line completely. Well, if you think about it from just an economic standpoint, now, I don't agree with this, um, but I'm just trying to get you to understand what their reasoning might be. I don't think it's a proper line of reasoning, but it is a, lo a fairly logical, even if it's um, perhaps short-sighted in a lot of other ways. Um, and really isn't the most logical, but anyway, um, if you make quote unquote cures, right, you, you make drugs or you make products that are supposed to help cure people. Well, theoretically what you're doing is eliminating your customer base because once they're better then they don't need to buy your product anymore. Right. And that's really messed up when you start to think about, oh, these people are making drugs that are supposed to help somebody and they design them or they design the technologies or whatever with the intent that they don't fully heal someone because then that would eliminate their profit streams. But it people can go there. Um, and, and I'm not saying that's every every medical company and I'm not saying that even many of them have adopted that, although I would say that probably a lot of the mega corporations have, but I don't know that for sure. They've definitely discussed it which in and of itself is kind of scary. But um, just think about like from their shoes, again, that doesn't justify it. And I don't even think that it's right in a lot of ways. Um, but you could see how someone could could think that, right? If the, all they're worried about is their bottom line. Now, another subset that I want to talk about, and I'm not going to spend as much time on this one, but it's Social Security. Now, Social Security is a total joke, all right? It's a joke that they, a bad joke, but a joke nonetheless, that they would steal so much of our, of your money for quote unquote, your retirement, which is a ridiculous concept anyway, that the government would even get involved in that sort of thing, that the government would tax away your money so that it can supposedly give you money later. Again, ridiculous concept anyway. And then they proceed to steal from that money that they already stole from you in taxes 
for your retirement, and they take from that money to pay for their other ridiculous, ineffective, and tyrannical programs. If you had your own money to invest yourself, you could make so, so much more money. Like, I, I, I don't know the numbers, um, but I've seen some things, and it just from a math standpoint, I, I know the math well enough, it makes perfect sense. If you were to take the same amount of money that they take from you, that they steal from you every month or every paycheck in taxes for Social Security, and invested that in even just a basic investment portfolio, like a mutual fund or 401k or Roth IRA or something like that, you would make way, way, way more money than you will ever get out of the program if you get any of it at all. And imagine if you kept more of your money that that you might just not retire. You know, retiring's not for everybody. Maybe you work your job and, you know, you might, once you get closer to what we consider retirement age, maybe you would take it a little easier. Maybe you would work part-time or maybe you'd start start and work on something that you always wanted to, but you didn't want to take the financial risk and now you've put away money and now you can. Or maybe you just like living a, a nicer life and you keep working because you need the money, but you know, you can afford things that you wanted and do things that you wanted because you've worked and you actually kept more of your money that you could spend and invest and save the way that you saw fit instead of the government stealing it, saying they're going to save it for you and then proceed to spend it anyway. It, the whole concept is just preposterous. And of course, my generation and even a generation or two behind me, we know good and well, and I've heard people, there's a lot of people that either have said this or agreed with me, we're never going to see a cent of that money. All the money that they've stolen from us over the decades in Social Security taxes, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to see any of it. And there's a lot of people that are not going to see any of it. Because that's never what it was about. It was always about tax increasing taxes and getting more money to pay for other programs. That's what FDR did it for. And if you're not, one thing that, that helps solidify that is look at some of the legislation that was proposed um, instead of Social Security at the same time that was actually designed. Now, I'm not saying it would have been justified, but the, the bill was written in such a way that it was obvious the point was to actually help people out. And Social Security does not do that at all. And when we're honest with ourselves, we know it. Although I will say this, it amazes me how defensive some people get over the paltry monthly allowance the government decides to give them of the money that those people already earned and got stolen from them in the first place. I've seen people get so defensive, and yet they don't seem to get defensive about the fact that the government stole their money in the first place and decides to give them a small sprinkling of it back. <laughs> that it amazes me and it it's kind of it's kind of funny in some ways too. And then the fourth subset that I want to talk about and I'm sure it's one that we all love to talk about and we've sort of alluded to a little bit here and there is taxes. Now we've talked a few episodes ago about taxes and some specific ways that they affect costs. Um if I remember correctly that was season 2 episode 18. Uh, we talked about the economy and why it's gotten so bad. I think we talked about taxes there. And we definitely talked about some of the more specific economic stuff of how government interference causes these things. Um, but we've mentioned those sorts of this sort of concept before. Let's just think about yourself for a moment. Before we go into any other examples, uh, let's just think about think back to ourself. And and believe me, I, I've I've worked various jobs 
and I've paid even working small part-time jobs in college or even high school, um, I've paid a lot of my paycheck would disappear in taxes even at that age. And I've just gotten a new job recently, a full-time job. And so I'm think I'm seeing more and more of the effects of taxes and how much money you lose. But anyway, think for a moment. Think about yourself, right? We're heading into a recession. Times are getting tough. And, and let's take out the fact that it's most of the government's fault. Just think, okay, times are getting kind of tough. Costs are going up. Things are more expensive. We're having to stretch that dollar a little farther, right? Okay. Just think about yourself and your own life. Wouldn't it be a little easier to deal with a recession if the government didn't take a third of your paycheck? Wouldn't it be a little easier to deal with costs going up if you didn't already lose almost a third or a third or in some cases more of your money before you even get it? It's taken out when they pay your paycheck and you don't see a red cent of maybe a third of the money that you worked hard for to earn. Wouldn't that make it a little easier? I know it would. That's a rhetorical question, right? Definitely make it easier. And while it's not very clear for many reasons, if I understand correctly, there's something else I want us to think about. If I understand correctly, the tax rate at the time of the American Revolution was about 3%. Now, they didn't, the British didn't do like a percentage, you know, it was it was usually specific amounts for specific situations. And, and there's a lot of things that affected the way taxes were done at the time, so it's hard to get an exact percentage. But about 3% is what I've heard, 1% to 3%. Think about that. 3% of your income. 3%. Wouldn't it be a little easier to make ends meet if only about 3% of your income was lost in taxes? That's a whole lot better. A whole lot better. Think about it this way. Let's see. Um, if you were to make, uh, let's try that. Let's, let's make it simple here. If you were to make thirty, let's say thirty thousand dollars a year, okay, and there's just a round number to kind of help us illustrate. When you lose about a third of your paycheck, as that adds up, you know, every every month or every week or every two weeks, however you get paid, and you lose a third of your paycheck, all right, and you make thirty thousand dollars a year, that means that your take home pay, the money you actually get to use is only 20,000 a year. Now of course, it tax rates if you actually make 30,000, it's it's a lower tax rate because that's a, a significantly lower salary. I get that. But this is just to help illustrate the numbers here. Okay, 30% or 30 technically 33 and a third percent, but a third of your paycheck, you're going to you're going to only have about $20,000 a year even though you made 30,000. Well, let's break that down to 10%. Let's say you only lost 10% in taxes, a tenth. Well, for $30,000, let's see, what does that come out to? That comes out to $3,000, okay? 10%. If you made $30,000 a year and your taxes were 10%, that means that you would have $27,000 at the $30,000 that you owned, that you earned. And then if you bring it down to 3%, Then that comes out, and I'm doing some mental math here. I didn't think about doing this until I got into the episode, so so you might want to double-check my math. But if you make $30,000 a year, 
and the tax rate is 3%, that means that you pay in taxes $900 a year. That means that if you pay 3% taxes and you make $30,000 a year, what you actually take home, what you actually can use to take care of your family, to pay the bills, to pay for food, to get something nice that you were wanting or your kids were needing new clothes or you wanted to get them something nice for Christmas or their birthdays or whatever, that means instead of instead of not 20000 not 27000 but $29,100 of the $30,000 that you earned is what you actually put in your pocket. Again, that's just some round numbers to get you to think about the differences in those percentages and how much of a difference that would make if the government didn't take so much of the money that you earned already. And now, you think about a third, 33%, 30%, whatever, being, you know, about a third, being a lot of money, and it is. But then it ta- what you actually lose in taxes is way more than that when you take into account the increase in costs that are caused by other taxes on producers, on stores, on everybody else where they have to pay extra ta- a bunch of taxes too. And again, they have to pay for it somehow. They've got to raise that cost up to the consumer. Gas prices, all that different stuff. Think about that. Is the government really trying to help you out? Is it, even if they're trying, are they really actually helping you out? I, I saw it was a joke one time, but it, it's a very good point, a very valid point. Uh, maybe we maybe we wouldn't need a stimulus package if the government didn't take so much of our money in the first place. <laughs> it's a valid point. And the last point that I want to make today The last main point is what things could be like if this wasn't the case. Now, I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on this last point. I just want to take a moment to think about what what life would be like without so much government interference. And remember, there's been a large part of our history, there was not much government interference. But right about the 30s especially, things really started to ramp up and it got way worse. Some things before that, but most of it was got really bad in the 30s. Now, I'm not going to go around and say that, well, if the government didn't regulate us at all, life would be perfect or some libertarian dream or anything like that. Life wouldn't be perfect. Life is still life. There's still problems in life. Life is still hard sometimes. But it would be a massive improvement. Would, would life in a less regulated um, culture be less safe? Uh, that's a big thing, you know, if we didn't have all these safety regulations, if we didn't have gun control and, and all these different things, because we do have gun control, they just want to make it worse. Uh, you know, life would be so much less safe. Well, it might be. And we don't have time to talk about this today, but there's a lot of reasons to believe that actually life would be safer with less government regulation. Just in the long run, life would be safer. The The motivators that would push people towards safety that isn't the government threatening to find you are actually arguably, and history would seem to indicate, a lot more powerful than the government re- than government regulation. Um, but either way, life would be way better. And if you want a little more on, on the idea of safety and the role that it plays in our lives, um, you might check out episode 29 of The Kentuckian called Safety is Not a Goal. Uh, I believe that's the title, but it's episode 29, and we talk about safety not being a goal in and of itself. Might really like to check that episode out. But anyway, life would be better. You could start that business you always wanted to, right? It would be so much more attainable. Maybe it was a business that is still, it's a sacrifice to to make, but 
it's easier to make a business run because there's so many less expenses and there's so much less regulation and people have more money to spend because, well, the government isn't taking so much of it so they can spend more money on your company, that sort of thing. It would be more attainable. You could experiment. You could try new things. You could literally reach for the stars. I mean, do you think that Orville and Wilbur Wright would be allowed to test their gliders and planes like they did back in the early 1900s? You think they'd be allowed to do that? Do you think all the advancements that require danger to test and experiment, all the men that literally gave their lives to to make some of these technologies practical, they took the risk, they they experimented, they they flew planes across the oceans and and died sometimes doing it to try and advance human progress and achieve something? Do you think they'd even be allowed to do those sorts of things today? Most of them wouldn't. And we need to think about that. Most of the progress that has been made in the 19th and 20th centuries in this country and even around the world, but especially thinking about this country, most of the progress that those guys, those men and women made, risking themselves, sometimes giving their lives, trying to push humanity forward, trying to achieve something, they wouldn't be allowed to do it today. It would be illegal or it would be impractical to make it a a reality. It's a sad and disgusting state of affairs. So I would ask you the question today, from today's episode again, I would ask you that question. Is the government really helping anyone? And that answer is an unequivocal no. Is there some exception somewhere? Maybe you can find me some rare exception. But far and away, the vast majority of the time, the government is not only not helping anyone, they are actively harming us. Again, whether they mean to or not, taking intentions out of it, let's, we're talking about government policy. Let's forget intentions. Let's look at results. Let's look at the effects of a policy. Let's look at the effects of a regulation. Let's look at the effects it has on people and not whether somebody meant for it to be good or meant for it to be bad. We're talking about government. And it doesn't matter what intentions are. And in fact, if a government official or anybody else is trying to push for a government policy solely based on the the intention of it, the intent of some policy, and not whether it works or not, you would better take note and you'd better be on your guard. But, friends, I, uh, I certainly don't want to leave you on a dark note. All right. As I've said before, sometimes the conclusions that we come to are, are not not all that good. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a dark implication. That's something I talked about at the beginning. One of the points of this episode was to hopefully get us to think in a different way, not just about government regulation, but the way that we view truth, the way that we view reality, and that we try and be open-minded and not close ourselves off to the even the possibility of something happening because we're afraid of what it would imply, because it's uncomfortable, whatever the case might be. And I don't want to leave you on a dark note. There is still much that is achievable today. And although it is much harder than it should be, it is still achievable. There is still hope. And there is always hope if we fight back, if we do what we can, no matter how big or small that action may be. You might not be able to go out and run for office or or try and affect some policy change or or like the founding fathers did, start a revolution. But you can support somebody that can. 
or you can raise a family. You can raise people that are going to support somebody who can, or maybe the next George Washington, maybe the next Thomas Jefferson, the next Ben Franklin, maybe the next John Adams. You might not do something that you feel is all that big, but it makes a big difference when everybody does what they can. Do what you can. Don't don't think about its effect. Don't think about, or rather, don't think about you feeling like it's a small thing that it doesn't have much effect because its effect is much different than you can even imagine. And there is always hope because truth always prevails. That's what we work at at the Kentuckian. That's what I'm working towards, right? That that that's the Kentuckian is about trying to to do something about the situation that we're in in this country. And as I've said before, if I didn't think there was hope, I wouldn't be doing this. So why don't you join me as we work to put a few things right in this world? Again, keep your chin up. I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to be motivated. We can do something about this. And the first step is knowing what the problem is. So, folks, I hope that you like this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope you found it interesting. I hope you found it motivating. And if you have feedback, suggestions, comments, whatever the case might be, please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. Please help me spread the word as well. That's how I'm able to keep doing this, and that's how we make more of an impact. Help me get the word out there. Help me reach more people that need to hear this. And don't forget our various ways to connect with and to support the Kentucky. And you can share all the different pages. You can look at them, get updates, those sorts of things. Um, although I'm not always updating them as much as I should be. Um, but that's a great way to connect, to reach out, to, to show other people the, uh, the Kentuckian and, and what we're trying to do. And of course, those are linked in the description below as usual. And if you'd like to support me in a more personal way, my Patreon is, is also linked below, and, and I do want to take a moment to thank my patrons. As always, they, they uh, sacrifice quite a bit and help me out a lot, and I really appreciate it, and I want to express my gratitude to them. And I want to thank everyone for your support, for your listenership, and uh, remember that you can make a big difference just doing what you can. And uh, as we close, as we think about our topic today, that the government really doesn't help anyone, that they actually harm people in a lot of ways, and what that might imply, but also that there is hope for change, that there is hope to fix some things that are wrong in this world when we stay focused on the truth. Remember, friends, that as long as you and I are doing what's right, we make a real difference in this old world. The Kentuckian, trying to make a difference one person at a time.